promising young man theme kicking up, fade to titles, Star Trek in big shiny silver letters, baby, and then we go to the most futuristic location of all, that's right, Iowa. The Plains of Iowa. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by America's favorite warlock, Nick. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's true. I play a lot of warlocks. <laughs> Can you tell that I've just had my whole D&D group on the podcast? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, what we do on the show every single week is we bring on a new guest and they pick whatever movie they want to watch, which is why I have only one question for you, Nick. Why did we watch 2009 Star Trek? So, I am huge into Star Trek. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen pretty much everything. I'm just finishing up Discovery Season 3 uh, recently. And basically, Star Trek 09 is what got me into Star Trek in the first place. Uh, my dad took me to see it in theaters 12 years ago today, oh, God. pretty much. <laughs> oh, no, um, you're so old. <laughs> Yeah, fun fact, we're actually recording this uh, on the anniversary of the release, so that's fun. Uh, totally inadvertent. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I saw it when I was 11, 12? Yeah, it just ever since then, uh, I started watching the original series, The Next Generation, uh, everything, and Star Trek is great. It's also the reason why I'm an engineer now. <laughs> so really, this one movie dictated my entire uh, career path. And now you so, get to talk about it on a podcast. We're really coming full circle on the trajectory of Nick's experiences with Star Trek 09. This is uh, the most exposure I, I will ever get. I, I had the, you know, we're, we're both pretty big Trek fans, so I think this is going to be a fun discussion. If not, um, this wasn't my first exposure to Star Trek as a child. I, I started out watching the next generation with my dad and my brothers a lot and a lot of the original series. So watching this uh, years later was really kind of a, a fun moment to sort of see all those tropes and classic moments that I recognize. And also I think it's a pretty good introductory movie, but we'll get right into that now. So note before we even start, this movie is scored by my boy Mikey G, Michael Giacchino. That is Giacchino. Yeah, Giacchino, I think. We're gonna that is my first note as well. <laughs> Oh, that's very on-brand. Um, if you listen to no other score from this movie, check out the track Promising Young Men. It's sort of the new theme that he devised for Star Trek, uh, and it's great. But we open on these flashing images of lights and sci-fi buildings, but it's not a building, it's actually a ship. A USS ship, that's right, a Starfleet ship, mid some sort of discovery. They are near a like black hole, wormhole, uh, and this sinister-looking, spiky... It, it's like pinecone-shaped, but like the most dangerous pinecone-shaped ship ever uh, emerges from a wormhole and locks weapons yeah, so on the Starfleet vessel. What they... Uh, I read some trivia on the little Amazon Prime x-ray thing that was like, uh, apparently this started out as a normal like mining ship, just like a block, and mm -hmm. then... There was some in-lore, in-universe explanation that being pulled through this black hole, uh, this wormhole or whatever it is, it, it like made all the spikes, which I think is actually a really cool touch. Like, yeah, scientifically that would never happen, but <laughs> um, it's it's just a really cool like little nod to like 
this wasn't a military ship to start with. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. They bring up later that this is, you know, they were on a mining vessel, not a military vessel. So this, it, it's kind of like a very personal vendetta that the villain of this movie is on against. And I think it's it's interesting how they managed to play with the design of it so that their plan makes sense and how they're executing it makes sense based on the ship that they're piloting. Uh, even if, again, it does look like a spiky pine cone. Um, but a spiky pine cone with purpose. Yeah, I have thoughts about the villain of this movie, um, but we'll <laughs> yes. get to that later when we actually meet our villain. When we meet our mysterious villain. My next note is is Chris Hemsworth appears. He- <laughs> yeah, he's just, his first his first shot isn't even like a, it, he's in the background, yeah. which is which is just great because so, you're just like, oh, it's Chris Hemsworth. It's Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> What's he doing um, here? So we're on the bridge of the Starfleet vessel. Uh, it's your... If you've seen any Star Trek ever, it's your classic um, two panels and chairs and then big chair in the middle. Uh, lots of sci-fi things being shouted. Alarms are going off. Very faithful design, by the way. Oh, yes. Uh, the Enterprise is... I like the new... We'll get to that, but yeah, we'll get to that <laughs> when we yes. get to the Enterprise. Yeah, I just wanted to note, though, that the visuals still look amazing for 2009. Oh, like, yeah. I know recently there was a Tron episode, which was 2010, <laughs> I believe. Um, yeah. And... They they both just look fantastic for their era, which is crazy. Yeah, this definitely like visually this movie holds up a lot, and I think a lot of that is because they actually pay homage in really neat ways to the original series' style. Yeah, I think they use models too. Mm-hmm. Physical there's, models for some of the starships. There's a few settings later on that they go to where I was amazed by how much it looked like it could have been a screen grab from an episode of the original series. Like the specific construction of the set that they were on. I was like, oh, I've seen that. And then there were also moments where there are some very like more 2010 sci-fi style thing, particularly inside the spiky pinecone ship where I'm like, "Mm, this this looks a little bit more like like Thanos's ship more than anything else. Like, this is a little bit more modern. Yeah, say what you will about JJ, but he's he's good at adapting uh, to a modern screen. Yeah, he's, he does a pretty good job of um, taking an existing franchise and kind of adapting it to film. Uh, but speaking of film... <laughs> so Continue with the film. Continuing with our film. Unfortunately for the Starfleet vessel, nothing they're doing can seem to fend off this spiky pine cone, and they receive a transmission. Uh, the captain of the enemy vessel requests that their captain come aboard to meet with them and negotiate presumably of a ceasefire uh chris hemsworth becomes acting captain we get a name drop he's george kirk himself very convenient little name drop convenient little name drop i did continue to refer to him as chris hemsworth in my notes but that's fine (laughs) uh and he orders the evacuation of the ship inconveniently while while this is happening his wife is in labor It would not be it would not be a 2010s movie if if just everything wasn't going wrong in <laughs> the first few frames, first two, first few seams. This seems. whole opening scene is important to understanding where our characters are at the beginning of the movie, but there is a part of me that found just how unfortunate every single event happening all at once was incredibly funny. Like there's a lot yeah. of, <laughs> there's a lot of cross cutting so between. <laughs> This pregnant woman just giving birth and like starships people getting exploding. sucked out of the starship. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, there's a lot of people getting sucked out into space in this movie. Yes. Uh, it's just a, it's just something I noticed. I don't know. I don't know if it's just JJ was like, you know, it would be cool 
people getting sucked into space. They do a lot or if of it was just like, like a, stakes. We setting. need to show the grittiness. Yeah, it's kind of like the one thing that really differentiates the stakes from the original series is like, okay, well, anyone who's a big fan of Star Trek probably knows which named characters are guaranteed to survive just on virtue of like they need to make up the Enterprise crew. So the question then becomes like, how do we show that there are stakes in this universe? And I think one of the ways they try to do that is in this first scene, sucking like half the crew out into space in other random shots. And it's like, okay, I guess yeah. that's uh, I guess that's what we're going with. I guess that's how we've landed on it. On the point of uh, stakes and people dying, I think this opening scene does do a good job of, of providing stakes because Chris Hemsworth does not survive. Spoiler alert. Yes, unfortunately, um, George Kirk uh, now piloting the... USS ship by himself, his captain. The autopilot um, <laughs> doesn't work. What a surprise. Shockingly, the autopilot not working realizes that he's going to have to, in order to let the shuttles with all of the escapees get away, he's going to have to fly the ship into the specky pine cone himself to, you know, distract them long enough for his actively giving birth wife to escape. Uh, he talks to his wife a little bit over the comms about, like, what should we name our son? And they're like, what about Tiberius, your dad's name? And he's like, no, don't do that. God, do no. your dad's name. Oh, okay, James. And this is how we meet James Kirk, the baby. Yeah. Uh, James T. Kirk. <laughs> James uh, yeah. T. Kirk. Uh, and then Chris Hemsworth uh, dies. He um, is no longer in the movie, but it was nice to see him in this opening scene. That's a picture wrap on Hemsworth. Although, theoretically, uh, had they done that Tarantino trek, I think... Chris Hemsworth was supposed to play a role in that. So that's a conversation for another day, but <laughs> it was just a little a little tidbit that, little that there were rumors about that. Easter egg. Um, we get some promising young man theme kicking up, fade to titles, Star Trek in big, shiny silver letters, baby. And then we go to the most futuristic location of all. That's right, Iowa. The plains of Iowa. <laughs> We see a, a young boy driving a retro car on some dirt roads, speeding, blasting rock music. We know voice. it's the future because he has a touchscreen Nokia that still has the standard Nokia ringtone. <laughs> it was so funny to, to see that just product placement of Nokia. <laughs> and, and here we are in 2021, Nokia being uh, a mostly dead franchise, uh, not franchise, but... <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, Dead who doesn't brand. love the Nokia cinematic universe, you know? I, for one, am <laughs> always thrilled when the new moment. Nokia movie comes up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a fun little, little tech gag. It was. Robocop starts chasing Kirk as he is, uh, you know, zooming on down the dirt road. Real cool design and just like little uh, in-universe lore drop that they have these robo-traffic cops. I yeah. Think. I really like the kind of like world building they do in these opening scenes because they also like they do a great job. Kirk is on the radio with the presumably his guardian at this point. who's like, oh, stop driving that. Re that's an antique. Probably. Like you're going to damage that yeah. retro car. You know, da, da, da. Uh, it kind of establishes like there's still some like nostalgia for things that are of our era, but it's definitely like establishes us in the future, but still makes it feel very real to Earth that as we would understand it, which makes us, you know, the audience be like, OK, I wouldn't want this planet to be destroyed because it's my planet. I live here, even though here is in an alternate fantasy sci-fi universe, years and years in the future, where people uh, regularly go to space. Right. Another thing about this scene, true, I don't want to say true Trekkies, um, <laughs> anyone who's watched the original series um, knows that Kirk was born in Iowa, for one. Uh, and, and if you've watched Discovery, I believe... Sorry, not Discovery. Uh, Voyager. Mm -hmm. Voyager kind of also indicates that cars with four wheels have not been 
around on Earth for a while. Uh, so that was not when I, when I rewatched the movie for this. Uh, it was kind of like a, hey, wait, weren't there no cars? But it's just a cool visual. So like we we can we can ignore that. Yeah, we can roll with it. Kirk, instead of pulling over when RoboCop, uh, not actual RoboCop, but a robotic cop, chases him down, is instead of pulling over, he uh, veers towards the edge of a canyon, stops the car, kind of, jumps out of it, lets the car go over the edge of the cliff, and then stands up himself and gives us his name drop when the cop says, what's your name, kid? And he goes, oh, James T. Kirk. And we know that that's our boy. Da, da, da. That's our character. That's our that's our not William Shatner, Kirk. Yes. Uh, cut to Vulcan, the same time, presumably. A bunch of children are in thinking bowls studying, uh, which is just a... Hel- the production design of Vulcan, really, this part, I, w- I want to take a moment to talk about how they've decided to train their children is they put them into these bowls in the ground that are just surrounded on all sides by formulas and they just say the answers to questions aloud in the bowls anyone in stem uh these last few years can can really resonate with with being placed in a bowl of equations (laughs) anyone sorry let me rephrase anyone doing a stem degree i have a lot of questions about this for you as you are you know you're an engineer you're a stem guy i majored in film and uh, Chinese lit. So I don't, I was never in an equation bowl. Is this something that you would say they, this is a learning strategy that, <laughs> uh, that we've adapted in STEM? <laughs> by, so there's a whole cliche or, or rather the type of people in STEM majors are, are often the people with uh, several monitors in a gaming setup. Uh, mm-hmm. I say mm-hmm. looking at my several monitors in a gaming setup. <laughs> um, but basically while we were, doing classes for like math classes and stuff, finishing up our degrees, basically what would end up on my screens would be equations and then zoom, (laughs) go back to zoom. I haven't had to use zoom in forever. What ended up happening was just a full 90 degree view in front of me of just equations. (laughs) Uh, And I can tell you it's, it's not as good as it looks on the big screen. You can, you should go to school kids. Uh, Go to school. Learning in front of a screen is not as fun. Maybe don't uh, use a thought bowl. Uh, but Spock don't is. Use a bowl. <laughs> Spock is being bullied by the other Vulcan kids because he is actually half human, and so the whole thing with Vulcans, if you're not familiar, is they only think logically and they don't let themselves be influenced by emotions. Uh, and because Spock is half human, he is considered more emotional. He gets into a fight with the other kids who call his father a traitor. Later, his dad sits down with him, and they have a little heart-to-heart about logic versus feeling, and his dad's like, oh, you can decide your own destiny. Will you be Vulcan or human? Can we talk about Vulcan bullies for a second? It, <laughs> it doesn't really seem logical to bully people. Like, maybe maybe I'm just a human. Who knows what those, <laughs> those Vulcans are thinking, but it just seems like, why would you antagonize someone? So <laughs> it, this seems... It's in everyone's best interest to get along, right? Yeah, so I think this scene is important for two reasons. One, it's called back to later because, you know, as a child, Spock lets his emotions get the better of him and kind of starts beating up one of the other Vulcan kids. But the way that the Also, Vulcan... we see the green blood. Yeah, you can see the green blood. Nice little... Oh, we know he's an alien. It's also referenced in the original series, too. Yes, 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 yes. But I think it's also important to kind of establish, like, what Vulcans are like because the way that the kids start bullying him is they go up to him and they're like, we prepared new insults for you. And Spock's like, oh, so I can 
practice controlling my emotions and it, it makes it almost sound like just kind of like in the learning bowls this is just another part of learning to be Vulcan for Spock. It is a hilarious line uh, <laughs> that we have prepared new insults for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not, I don't know if that's word for word, but basically that's the gist of what they say before they start just like ripping him a new one. I, I thought it was like a neat little touch into this is how bullies would operate in a world where everyone thinks logically because they are, they're still bullying Spock, but they're going about it in a different way, which is a, a pretty true. common, I think, way of writers who definitely have emotions dealing with Vulcans is like, how do I make it logical that this person is acting emotionally? But we'll get to that a yeah, little later it in the did, movie. It did give us a good, a good framing of Spock's character for anyone who hasn't necessarily seen him before. Yes, it's there's this movie does a lot to establish uh, Kirk and Spock's characters because you know they're the first the relationship. Mate, first officer and captain of the, and core relationship of this movie. Flashing forward, Spock is talking to his mother. You know she's like, "Oh, I'll always be proud of you." It's very sweet. He asks her if he should join the Vulcan Science Academy or not, and she's like, "Do whatever you want. I'll always be proud of you." He has this so, meeting. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that Winona Ryder was in this movie. I. <laughs> When I rewatched it a couple days ago, I, I was like, wait, hold on. She looks... That's Winona Ryder. <laughs> I did not know she was in this movie. I forgot just how many people I did recognize were in this movie, period. Like, that too, it's yeah. Got a great The casting cast. was all great. <laughs> the casting was fantastic. Whoever, whoever managed that deserves a raise. Oh my god, yeah. But yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to the other casting choices as we meet them, I'm sure. Oh, for but, sure. Yeah, I mean, Winona Ryder is... She just doesn't necessarily look like herself especially mm-hmm. if you're watching it in like a theater she was she was good as Spock's mom but it's also weird because she's like only a couple years older than Zachary Quinto so yeah <laughs> but hey it's movies and movie magic exactly they didn't do a lot to try and make her look older other than make her wear like scar a bunch of scarves so I mean and slightly gray hair yeah it's like we'll just it's fine we could just suspend our disbelief that Winona Ryder is older than Zachary Quinto I guess for this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Spock goes in to talk to the Vulcan Science Academy, ed, I guess, admissions council. It's a little unclear. Um, and they're like, hey, we're you're in. Uh, congratulations. Uh, and they say, you, you know, you get in despite all of your detriments or your adversity. You know, your, something was holding you back. And Spock kind of like stops for a moment. And he's like, do you mean my mother was holding me back? Uh, and they're like, yes. He Doesn't does take not that well. Like people... Uh, talk about his mother that way. No, he's, he's very would? much a mommy's boy. And he Get ready declines. to square up if you insult my mom. <laughs> Not just because it's Mother's Day in two days. Tomorrow. Yeah. Shit. Tomorrow. <laughs> I hope At you got the time of for... recording, Mother's Day is Everyone. tomorrow. Yeah. I hope you all wished your mothers a happy Mother's Day. Spock declines joining the Vulcan Science Academy which they all are like, it's illogical. And he's like, actually, don't worry about that because I'm not fully a Vulcan, so you're not ruining your spotless record. And he joins Starfleet instead. Uh, so what have we learned? Spock and Kirk, they're both rebels with severe daddy issues, but, you know, we don't have time to dwell on that because meanwhile, back on Earth, funky music is taking us into a dive bar where a woman with a Ariana Grande-style ponytail walks in and orders, like, eight drinks in a row. I, I choose to believe those are all for Zoe Saldana. I mean, we've got to. This is she Zoe can... Saldana herself. Yeah, she orders, <laughs> but... orders like a Budweiser classic and then like a Cardassian sunrise and like <laughs> two shots of Jameson. They do that thing that they do in Star Trek a lot where they're listing off like Mozart, Beethoven, 
Zarthax of Garnar 4 and like just throw in like random space names with regular ones yeah. and I love that. Uh, it's so great. <laughs> also, I, this is like, I love that we're what, 150-ish years in the future and dive bars are still the exact same. Oh, exactly the same. Earth is fundamentally the same culture, which again helps the audience relate to why people might care about this planet. Zoe Selinda is immediately hit on by Kirk after ordering her, like, eight drinks and introduces herself as Uhura. She is a xenolinguist. Kirk understands what that is, revealing that he's secretly smart. Also, this is, like, the most character development we've had for Uhura. It's kind <laughs> of the date. most character development that she'll get in the movie, too, unfortunately. Yeah. The movie spends a lot of time on Kirk and Spock to kind of the let the rest of the side characters just sort of be the characters that they were in the original series. But like, them to a little bit more up. interesting. Yeah, there's a sequel to this movie, so you know we get a little bit more there. But in this one, um, it's very much a getting the band together more so than it is a character development moment. So what you need to know about Hura is she is very smart, and she is not into Kirk. <laughs> not at all. Nope, not at all. Kirk gets into the face of one of the other uh, Starfleet Academy cadets. And they start having a classic dive bar brawl. I want to give mad props to Chris Pine for going all in on the Shatner fight choreography. There are so many shots of him dramatically, like, falling, still facing the camera into, like, the wall. tables, the bar, walls. Later on, he'll fall into consoles. And it's just, it's great. <laughs> it's so good. But also, it's like Starfleet Academy is accepting just any old Joe, because... I think one of the one of the gripes that a lot of uh, Star Trek fans had about this movie was that, and it's been like New Trek in general, is that mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really depict a, a utopia that was Gene Roddenberry's original vision. Um, and really, this guy, he just like rolls up and just straight up sucker punches Kirk. Starfleet's supposed to be the pinnacle of, of humanity and the face that humanity puts out, and this guy is just ready to go, ready to rumble in a dive bar. Yeah. But like... Honestly, who wouldn't be ready to roll it, rumble in a dive bar? <laughs> I think I think all of us would probably if we if we saw the this early. I don't know where I'm going with this, <laughs> but I think I kind of get what you're saying. With like it's it's there's there's a lot more nuance. Gritty. To, there's the humanity. There's humanity. Yeah, in these characters. there's a kind of the like gritty humanity to a lot of these characters, yeah. where a lot of the things in especially the original series and the next generation is it's. They're still definitely, like, emotional humans, but everyone is a bit more subdued, and there's not as much propensity for things like bar fights. Although, there are many times I, I, there are. in those series. The where... trouble with tribbles, for one. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this movie has got a lot more modern sensibilities in terms of, like, what sort of tone it kept from the original series. So, yeah. if you go into this expecting, like, a shiny, clean, chrome, 70s sci-fi, you're not going to get that. If you go into this kind of ex expecting the spirit of Star Trek and some fun callbacks, uh, you won't be disappointed. It's a great jumping off point. It's a great jumping off point, for sure. This, so the fight in the bar uh, is broken up by a very loud whistle as a Trek officer, or a Starfleet officer, breaks up the rumble. He recognizes Kirk uh, by his name. Apparently Kirk had previously applied to Starfleet and like had crazy good entrance exam results and this guy is still trying to recruit him. Uh, we learn later on that this is Captain Pike. He challenges Jim to be half the man his father was and then gives us the one-liner about what Starfleet is, uh, like scientific sp space exploration group before leaving, giving Kirk the 
time that the recruit shuttle leaves and daring him to be better than his dad, who saved 800 lives in 12 minutes, you will remember that that was Chris Hemsworth at the beginning of the film. Also, the time that he gives is 0800, uh, and presumably being at a dive bar, it's like after 10. So by the time you... I, I would not be up to, to get on a <laughs> shuttle at 8 a.m. if I was at a bar the night before. I would, I would still be sleeping. Then you would not I'm save 800 lives in 12 minutes, Nick. <laughs> I, I would not. Uh, I like to think that uh, I would be a great Starfleet chief engineer, when in reality I'd have trouble getting up in the morning. I mean, you could have the Scotty school of getting into this movie, which we'll get to much later, and I we'll personally love, but, you know, it's you, there's many routes to being an engineer on Starf in Starfleet. Um, but our theme kicks in again. Kirk bikes through some farmland and theme. pulls up to the construction of an iconic ship model we all know and love. They've got that disc, Constitution baby. Constitution class. Mm-hmm. He goes to enlist, he gives his bike to a random engineer, and boldly declares that he will finish the academy in three years instead of four, and then proceeds to hit his head on a low clearance bar while boarding the shuttle. Which is a mood. Yep. He takes a seat, and there's some sort of, like, commotion at the door as some guy starts yelling, I don't need a doctor, damn it, I am a doctor, and my boy Bones enters the shuttle. <laughs> and it's Carl Urban. It's and, like, Carl it, Urban. This is the perfect casting. Oh my god, <laughs> Absolutely so perfect. The casting in this movie is fantastic. He's he's Bones through and through. Through and through. Bones, uh, Leonard McCoy, sits next to Kirk, declares that he may throw up, and rambles about all the ways that space can kill you, uh, and says that his, like, ex-wife took everything he has left except for his bones, and that friendship and a nickname are both born. Three years later, the spiky pinecone from all those years ago is back. It's making as many ominous noises as ever, and Captain Nero, the alien in charge of the ship, gets to the bridge and says, it is time. They've arrived at the coordinates, and they wait for the one who allowed their home to be destroyed. I believe this is also the first uh, bit of speaking we get from our prime uh, bad guy. Yes, we sort of glossed over it earlier, but after um, the original captain of Kirk's dad's ship went into the spiky pine cone, uh, he, he was brought to the commander, Captain Nero, but Captain Nero didn't speak to him. His, like, lieutenant did. Uh, before they murked him. So this is really the first time we hear him talk. He watches a vessel come out of the wormhole and says, Welcome back, Spock. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. How could Spock be back? Spock has been here the whole time. Meanwhile, at the Academy, Kirk and Bones are chatting about Kirk taking a test for like the third time that no one has ever passed before. And then Kirk's like, I gotta go study. And then hard cut to him making out with a green chick. Uh, I believe also this is our first bit, uh, our first time Bones says, I'm a doctor, Jim blank um, yes <laughs> i don't think he uh, says the first it of several line for line but he begins he i like what they do with bones in this because he he's important into getting kirk into places and getting himself into place in the enterprise but he doesn't really have any character development so in place of him having a character arc they kind of just like slowly give him more and more of his iconic line to say so at, yeah at first he's great. like here for it. i don't need a doctor damn it i am a doctor and then later on in the scene he's like I am a doctor, but he doesn't finish it. And then later on in the movie, I jotted it down when it happened. He does do the full, oh, yeah, I'm a doctor, not a blank <laughs> line. Yeah, I have um, it somewhere around here. <laughs> I stopped, watched it. There were like three lines I was watching out for. That was one of them. The writing of the characters is just on point, too. Oh, it, yeah. It's Everyone like they, is very much kind of what they were, but modernized. They took the characterizations from the original series and turned them up to 11. Yeah. It was great. Bones is a grumpy doctor. We love him. Kirk is like uh, overeager, 
kind of cocky, trying what he he's gonna do, and somehow always succeeding. You know, uh, Uhura, who is the roommate of the green chick that Kirk hard cut to making out with, comes back into her room and kicks Kirk out. And she's like, I heard this transmission from a Klingon, uh, uh, you know. A... There was a Klingon transmission saying that their ships were destroyed, basically. Yeah, Klingon. What is the word for SOS? I guess just the SOS transmission from a Klingon ship that was Pretty destroyed. Um, but also there's a there's a hilarious little bit of banter um, between the girl that Kirk is making out with that we see only in the background from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um it's very easy to see if she's green skin. Yeah. But yeah, she's like, I think I love you, Kirk. And then he's like, that's neat. And then <laughs> two seconds later, she's like, yeah, I had like seven other guys over in the last five days. Yeah. Uh, Kirk is also trying to guess Uhura's first name. There's a, her last name is Uhura. Uh, she doesn't tell him. And Kirk is him fascinated out. with Uhura. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we cut to the simulated test. Kirk is the captain of a ship that is under attack. Uh, he's seeming to, like, blow off the assignment. Everything's going crazy. He's eating an apple. Just casually eating an apple. Everyone's getting Very a little important. peeved at him. Everything kind of, like, short circuits for a second, and every comes back online. He manages to navigate the simulation no problem, making Kirk the first person to ever beat Spock's test, the Kobayashi Maru test that Spock designed and programmed. Kirk is then put on trial for violating the code of conduct for cheating on the test, and when he asks to face his accuser directly, Spock rises and says... A captain cannot cheat death and explains that the test is supposed to be a no-win scenario. But as they're sort of debating whether or not Kirk is going to get in trouble, there's a distress call from Vulcan and all the cadets are heading to the hangar to get onto their assigned ships. Also, I'd like to note that the uh, the admiral who's in charge of this courtroom scene is Tyler Perry. I believe this is his first role outside of the movies that he makes, which is <laughs> pretty cool. It sounds like most of the actors that got in this movie were just super jazzed to be in a Star Trek film. Um, yeah. And who wouldn't be, honestly? It's got the energy of like, oh, they're making a Star Trek movie? Uh, yeah, I'll cameo in this, you know? Like, why not? <laughs> yeah. Why would I not want to be in a Star Trek movie? It's uh, who wouldn't? I... I would love to be. Exactly. Hit me up, producers. I'm terrible <laughs> on camera. I have no reason that you should cast me, but I would love to be an ensign. Uh, you can... They, we'll talk about it later, but you could definitely kill me off to show the stakes if you want to. So everyone's getting their assignments for where they're going to go. Bones is on the Enterprise. Uhura is originally not on the Enterprise, and then she argues with Spock a bunch, and then she gets moved to the Enterprise. Uh, and Kirk That's our is... first little hint that uh, Uhura and Spock have a, have a slightly deeper relationship than just, like, teacher and uh, Yes, she's like, yo, you're, I'm your best student, you're my mentor. He's like, no, the Enterprise is going to be like, I didn't want to show playing favorites. And she's like, put me on the Enterprise. And he's like, okay, yeah, you're on the Enterprise. Kirk is grounded until the Academy board rolls on him. So Bones gives him an injection of a vaccine that has side effects and then brings him Mood? on board. <laughs> that was me last week. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> brings him on board, uh, use it claiming like doctor's authority or something like that. And uh, they both quoting gen- regulations, <laughs> quoting which regulations. is a very Star Trek thing to do. Yes, they say the word regulations maybe like fifty times in this movie, and that's pretty <laughs> yeah. low for Trek. So good it, for them. It, I'm glad that they they just kept that little quirk in. Yeah, they didn't say the words Trope. prime directive at all, which was a little disappointing. But they did get regulations. We get that in the, in the bunch, second. So movie. you'll take what you can get. Okay, yeah. It's literally um, the open scene, opening scene of the second movie. <laughs> you can't betray the prime directive. They're in the shuttle, and this time Kirk is the one who says he might throw up on Bones, which is really great. Love that they're bros. Great um, callback. We see the shuttles all go off to join their various starships, and we get that glory shot of the words USS Enterprise as we see it for the first time from space. Speaking of being bros, uh, backtracking a little bit back to the courtroom scene, Bones was like, 
I like that guy referring to Spock. And as yeah. we, as anyone who's watched the original series knows, uh, Bones and Spock don't get along all that well. It's a it's a kind of a loving rivalry, but uh, yeah, there, I don't think there are any many too many areas in the show where they say they that they actually that, like, like each other deep respect where they would trust each other with their lives but they also bones would never admit it so he just insults spock all the time for you know, being an alien which they don't dwell on too much in this movie because again other than kirk and spock most of the characters don't do all that much in terms of changing so it's really just their like one or two scenes but this is bones scene he gets uh kirk on board the ship and knocks him out in med bay as uh they dodge Spock. Spock is taking his seat at the bridge. He's the first officer under Commander Pike. They all kind of settle into their spot and they're about to go to warp. We get to have a few more characters from the original series make their introduction. And I have some problems with how they did this because they really they really had to roast my boys. So first we see Sulu as he's told to take the ship to maximum warp and he pulls a lever and nothing happens. Uh, nothing happens. Nothing happens at all. It's really everyone else is warping. They're not. So this is this is important for the plot of the movie because their ship will show up a little later than the others in the um, fleet, but they only put it on poor Sulu. Effectively saving all of their lives. Effectively saving all of their lives, but you know they don't know that yet. Uh, Spock corrects Sulu on like a thing he forgot to unlock, which is essentially just a fancy version of a parking brake. And this time when they go to warp, it goes correctly. They didn't have to wreck my boy Sulu just, like that, but <laughs> yeah, they really didn't. I mean, Sulu's competent. Uh, yeah, Sulu is one of the like most functional characters on the entire goddamn ship. But anyway, also, um, I don't know if it was just the way Zachary Quinto was playing Spock, but but Spock really looked like Spock uh, looks very smug. smug in this movie. He looks which very is smug. Pretty faithful to the original series. Uh, I think Spock only looks smug with himself when he figures something out in the original series, like when he's the one who finds the. The solution to, of the to the problem of the week yeah. but otherwise he looks higher than thou this <laughs> is maybe That's the, the most emotional depiction of spock in a like first entry of the character uh yeah it's pretty big yeah it's, it's a pretty big performance for spock um but yeah. it is also kind of like you said a fundamental part of the plot so i'm gonna i give him a, i give him a pass on it because it's important to how the action plays out but it is a little yeah. bit uh, off from how the characters usually performed. Chekhov gets his yeah. name drop. The computer doesn't recognize him inputting his code to make an announcement because of his accent, which was also very rude. Which is actually <laughs> hilarious. It was hilarious, but it was They just a sad. absolutely wrecked two of the most iconic Trek characters. <laughs> they were like, oh, I we mean, need to do character you... introductions for Sulu and Chekhov. How can we uh, roast them both in within the span well, okay, of like so... five minutes? <laughs> So there is there is like legacy uh, evidence of of Chekhov not being able to pronounce things correctly. <laughs> I believe in, uh, in Star Trek Four, the Voyage Home, he asks where the nuclear vessels are. Yes. But yeah, they really they did they did do my boy Chekhov dirty. Oh Chekhov! He run, starts giving an announcement about what they're doing. There's a lightning storm on Vulcan, and they're going there to help evacuate. And they're arriving in three minutes. Kirk wakes up having crazy vaccine side effects, like his hands are all swollen, uh, and he's like... He can't talk. He can't talk, but he hears the announcement, and he's like, oh no, we're flying into a trap, and he starts running wildly to find Uhura to make her understand that the lightning storm was a Romulan trap. Uh, it's at this point that we hear the word Romulan for the first time, kind of identifying the alien species that Captain Nero is. 
uh, along with all of his crew. Romulans were like the yeah, primary those, enemy in the next generation. They're recurring antagonist, yeah. Kind of like um, a recurring antagonist. Uh, most people, I like feel like, the Klingons. know Klingons. Yeah. Yeah. The Klingons were a recurring antagonist in the original series. and Yes. Uh, Romulans are, are that for the next generation. Exactly. Um, but that's our first identifier for them, uh, which is, I'm glad that they said it because the character design of the Romulans in this movie is very different from how they are designed in the next generation. They do not look like Romulans. They don't look like Romulans. Uh, Romulans typically look like... They also don't really act like Romulans either. No, so Romulans typically are kind of just like evil Vulcans in terms of how they act and look. They wear a lot of shiny metal vests and they have the same bowl cut that all the Vulcans have. And the the little pointy ears. And the pointy ears and the eyebrows. And they don't really have anything in that design except for the eyebrows in this movie. So if you were looking for the design that you recognized, it might be be understandable why you wouldn't realize that these are Romulans until someone says it. Uh, it kind of feels like they just picked an enemy and then made up the whatever design they wanted to go on it. And, yeah, I uh, don't think they really t- cared about continuity for that. <laughs> Romulans don't usually have that face paint. No. Um, it, was a weird, it was a weird design decision, but yeah. then again, modern Star Trek would... Uh, does have some strange alien design decisions. Yeah, it kind of just felt like, to me personally, I was like, well, why call them Romulans if you're just, and like use the term Warbird to refer to their ship if you're not going to just use the design of the, because every other design in this movie is pretty consistent, so why change yeah. that one? Um, just make a new, Star Trek makes new aliens all the time. It's not so big of a continuity, it's not like a continuity issue or anything, it's just sort of a, a tick for all the old fans. Speaking of a tick, uh, Jim... Kirk is running all over the place. He somehow makes it to the bridge uh, and starts kind of explaining that the lightning storm that destroyed the USS Kelvin, his father's ship, is the same one that is happening over Vulcan now and brings up the transmission that her received earlier about the Klingons that went down and saying this is all just like what happened when the USS Kelvin went to intercept the spiky pinecone ship and this is a trap. It kind of bugged me that the that Kirk was the only one who could like piece this together because mm-hmm. it this the movie states that at least like six other people on the bridge knew of what happened when his father uh sacrificed himself and then but for some reason Kirk is the only one who puts two and two together and is like trap yeah it feels it's weird that no one in all of Starfleet would put those two things together. It, they sort of imply that, like, only Uhura got the transmission because she was specifically scanning for it and translated True. it to, like, set up that she's a really good translator to make the position of answers the phone somewhat more uh, interesting. And I think they needed a way that to really get That really is all she Kirk. does, isn't it? It's so sad. <laughs> it really is all she does. Um, and to kind of, like, make Kirk important on the Enterprise, I think, because up till now he's a stowaway, essentially. So it serves a purpose in the plot, but it is kind of a- annoying in the context of, this is a-, a giant research organization with extensive records. You'd think they would realize that the same thing is happening twice. But nope, they lose, like, eight ships. Nope, nope, nope. Spock and Uhura back up uh, Kirk. They're like, you know, the- his thing is incredibly logical, and they prepare for battle. As they exit warp, Jim Kirk is immediately proven correct because they arrive to a bunch of destroyed lens flares. starships, lens flares, and the spiky pine cone attacking Vulcan. This movie seriously needed an epilepsy warning. There were so many lens flares. But it's that's, that classic J.J. Uh, Abrams lens flare. Putting that aside, it's, it's a good movie. They call out that they're facing a Romulan warbird to drop the name Warbird for all those fans who know what the Romulans are supposed to be flying, and the battle begins. 
the Romulans are blocking all transmissions and transporters with a drill that they're using to drill into the planet. And so the Enterprise has no choice but to fight. They can't call for help and they can't get anyone out. Also, the first thing to get sucked out into space is the medical bay where Kirk yep. was like five minutes ago. So yep. glad he didn't uh, he wasn't confined back to sick bay because otherwise... Bye yep. bye, Kirk. The spice, spiky pine cone does fire on the Enterprise and takes out the current chief medical officer, which then upgrades Bones to chief medical officer, uh, which puts straight the, out of the academy. Pretty much, this chief whole fight officer. serves to do one thing, and that is to get all of the crew that we need to be in chief officer positions into chief officer positions. So this pretty is much. where Bones becomes it was very chief medical officer. Yeah. But it was, we need everyone in their positions. We know yeah. what we're here for. It's sort of implied that everyone except for, like, Kirk is really uh, not quite a fresh recruit. A lot of them are either enlisted officers already or in such a different track that they don't have the same sort of, like, hierarchy. Which is funny because Kirk ends up the captain. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> the, alert, the... Kirk becomes the first <laughs> captain of the Enterprise at the end of the movie. And literally straight out of the Academy. Straight out of the Academy. Uh, the... Imagine becoming a CEO of a giant company. <laughs> straight it's like out of applying to be an intern and getting made the head of a department, essentially. Yeah. You're like... Uh, unrealistic, but fun. Yeah, it's, it's the dream we, we all have. <laughs> yeah. Nero review, uh, recognizes that he's facing the Enterprise, and he hails them, addressing Spock directly, saying that he wants him to watch, and demands that, once again, the captain boards a shuttle to negotiate on board the Warbird. The captain agrees and tells Sulu and Kirk that they're going to have to go on his mission because, quote, Kirk isn't supposed to be there anyway, and Sulu has combat training. <laughs> Which we will find uh, out more about later. <laughs> yep. It's especially uh, relevant to us. Especially, I was so excited when they said that, so basically the way they decide who's going to be on the Sway team is they ask who has combat training and Sulu raises his hand. And as soon as he did, I was thrilled because I'm like, I know where this is going. <laughs> yep. Um, the Literally the second episode of the original series, I believe. The second episode of the original series. <laughs> shows uh, and George if you know Takei, anything Sulu. about George Takei, you're like, oh yeah, I know where this is going. I've actually met him. Uh, oh, took a picture with him. It was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, he came so to jealous. Hawaii. It was great. Of course. The Romulans, meanwhile, are preparing the Red Matter, which is a floating red sphere, uh, which is a very Trek-style <laughs> thing. <laughs> it's, it's the very technobabble. Yeah. Just, this thing it makes doesn't black matter holes. what the Red Matter is. It is spherical, and you can take part of it away, and that's all you need to know. And it's high explosives, basically. Mm -hmm. So they all board the shuttle. Captain Pike is going to board it to then fly into the warbird meanwhile kirk sulu and a uh, red, red shirt, shirt. <laughs> uh, he's actually the name. chief engineer is he the I chief engineer he's a chief engineer uh which is i have <laughs> i have comments about but um he's a chief engineer and he's a red shirt so we already know yeah uh, he's a red shirt a red that shirt, we, we don't really name. get the name of so if you are at all trek savvy you know that this man is no way in shape or form ever going to possibly survive this mission but kirk sulu and unnamed ensign red shirt are responsible for landing on the drill and disabling it so that they can get their transporters and communications back online and then getting back on board. Kirk gets promoted to first officer and Spock becomes the captain of the Enterprise. But that's not the way that it should be. Don't worry about that, savvy viewers. We'll get to that later. That's just a, This is a surprise mouse tool that'll help us later. Yes. The red shirt's super excited to go into combat. Kirk asks Sulu what combat training he has and he says fencing, which is fencing. just amazing. Because and for the viewers out there, <laughs> Sophie and I both 
Uh, we're fencers for a bit. Yes, we both we both fenced together. Um, and also I believe in the original also series, like the reason that I think Sulu uses a fencing sword in the episode where he goes like fight crazy is because episode George two, Decay the naked. I believe told... it's the naked time. <laughs> yeah. Or the naked now. Uh, One of them is in TNG episode. Something like that. George Decay told the producers that he knew how to fence so that they would give him a like foil as opposed to like a katana, which I think was great. Uh, and so yeah. it's a nice little callback to like emphasize the fencing part of it. He fences shirtless, by the way, for those of you who want to see 1960s George Decay shirtless. Yes, it's an excellent episode. They enter the drop zone and they get ready to do their jump from the sky and take their mission. Will they land safely? We know at least two of them will. Sulu and Kirk are able to pull their chutes and land safely after a little bit of uh, difficulty, but the red shirt unfortunately gets red shirted and doesn't pull his chute and smashes into the drill and gets like, how did, destroyed. Um, how is he guy. the chief engineer? <laughs> it, it just, it just, he's listed as the chief engineer. Mm-hmm. And literally just makes the worst decision so, <laughs> of all time. Savvy Trekkies uh, will know that the chief engineer on the Enterprise is supposed to be Scotty, who we haven't seen in the movie yet. So as per the doctor getting sucked out into space, once again, the movie is creating a situation in which the character that we need to fill a certain role will be able to fill it because there won't be anyone to replace. I don't even think that they give Scotty the title of chief engineer in this in this movie at they least. don't give him the title but he functions as it in the end yeah. so it kind of just works That's out true. kirk and sulu land on top of the drill and end up one-on-one fighting to romulans it was funny that literally the second that they land the second that kirk lands chris pine just rips off his helmet and whatever else was covering his hair and i was yep. like when you have chris pine you got to show off the whole package oh you got to show off the goods it's your second hot curse of the movie you gotta you can't let that man's face be hidden by a sci-fi mask they also just they look so young it's like i know it's 12 years ago but still both of the chrises i just look like little babies i first forgot that chris hemsworth was in this movie at all so that was a pleasant surprise but yeah everyone in this cast looks very young and it until you texted me earlier today, like, it's been 12 years since this movie came out, I kind of forgot just how long ago 2009 was. Yeah. It does, also, it just straight up doesn't feel like it was 12 years ago that this God, movie came out. Not at all. Because it really kicked off, like, the whole, I guess, Trek renaissance. After mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. 90s, there was really not much after yeah, Enterprise ended. This prompted a lot of new shows to kind of, like, get a little popularity boost. So they're facing off with the Romulans. Uh, Sulu... <sighs> This is his big scene Sick in the movie. katana. He has it an is. it's he has an expandable katana. <laughs> it's such a sick I he, I want that. <laughs> I want it so bad. He whips out this like pen that expands into a full sword and he starts fencing with the <laughs> I think he there's so he good. like it's actual combat choreography, like sword yeah. sword play choreography. But they it's do not, not so much so, fencing, but yeah. One of the things you do in fencing is you really only move forward and backward. And what I liked about their choreography is they do like flips and things and they don't do necessarily fencing footwork, but they only seem to move forward and backward. They don't move laterally at all, which made it look more like fencing. Sulu straight up fencing. Kirk is in a brawl. Don't worry. They both win with the power of the dangerous terrain that they're on. Uh, And again, Sulu's power expanding sword. Unfortunately, Red Shirt had the charges to blow up the drill, but Kirk just shoots at it, and that seems to work fine, uh, which raises the question of why they didn't just, like, shoot at it with a shuttle instead of sending three guys to just jump on it. I don't think shuttles have weapons, usually. I don't know. They usually have, like, phasers, I think. It depends on the shuttle, I guess. Yeah, I guess it depends on the shuttle. I think I'm I'm thinking mostly of the runabouts from DS9, 
Yeah, they, they, they had weapons, well, but I don't know what shuttles weapons. do. They've blown up the drill, and now they need to get out. Unfortunately, the drill had already reached the core of the planet Vulcan, and they have launched the red matter into the hole. Chekhov helpfully we informs also get us. A, <laughs> a heroic little Chekhov moment, um, because trying to get off the drill, uh, Kirk and Sulu are forced to jump, and no one except for Chekhov can man the transporter correctly, or well yes. enough, I should say, to save them before they mm -hmm. hit the ground. Uh, so we get a very last-second transport, a classic Trek trope, too. Um, yes. <laughs> where Chekhov literally runs all the way from the bridge to the to the transporter room. Uh, yeah, um, Chekhov first informs us, helpfully, as the exposition of this movie, that the red matter is creating a black hole in the center of Vulcan, and the planet only has minutes, so Spock transports off to go get his parents, who can't beam off the planet for, like, space reasons. Because they're too deep underground, I think, is the reason. Yeah, it was uh, Which unclear. hasn't stopped anyone before. <laughs> But it's okay. It's fine. Space We're here reasons. For the ride. He got a space reasons can't be mum. Gotta go down. Uh, <laughs> Kirk and Sulu are plummeting off the side of the drill, and they get beamed up at the last second by Chekhov manually locking onto them. The whole battle is just like the crew taking form. I was sad at this point in the movie because it seemed like they were going to try and make Chekhov take Scotty's place as the transport guy, but I was made happy like 20 minutes later, so we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> I believe also there was a, a little, uh, I guess, Easter egg. I have written down here that Spock's parents were in the, the Kotrick arc or something. Mm -hmm. um, and longtime viewers of Star Trek would know that Vulcans have this Katra, which is basically like their spirit and the whole Star Trek three plot kind of revolves around that um so that was a fun little callback yeah so spock goes down there to get his parents and bring them out and as they're fleeing uh one guy gets crushed by a statue and then another unnamed guy gets crushed by a rock and then they all manage to get up to the surface and they're beaming up but as they're beaming up and they're not able to move or else the lock will be lost spock's mom right in front of him unfortunately one step too far out of the cave uh, she falls literally into the center of the planet as the ground collapsed. She ran to the edge and was like, "Oh yep. boy, the planet's collapsing. Let me stand on the edge here." <laughs> yep. What so a good Sp idea. Spock's mom gets, uh, like most moms in movies, gets killed off for character reasons uh, by plummeting into a black hole. Everyone else manages to beam onto the ship. Uh, Vulcan is destroyed as a black hole forms in the center of the planet, but the Enterprise manages to fly away. Unfortunately, Captain Pike is still MIA. He is over on the Warbird, um, leaving Spock as the acting captain with only a thousand Vulcan survivors. Spock kind of like storms off the bridge as much as Spock can storm and is followed by Uhura, who... Uh, kisses him and's like oh i'm so sorry what can you what do you need and he's like everyone to continue performing admirably uh, can we just talk about how <laughs> uhura was literally spock's student up until maybe yeah 24 hours ago yeah <laughs> and not a huge fan of that no um, they no. they could have had their relationship handled differently they could have just not had them be in a relationship because it kind of just becomes the only thing that Uhura is doing in this movie is That's dating true. Spock. Yeah. Like she's finds the transmission at the beginning, right? Um, which is great. And then other than that, she kind of just dates Spock and that's what she's around for in the movie. Pretty much, unfortunately. I think she like she intercepts like one communication and understands like one language that other people or she's yeah, placed she as, can... as a bridge officer because she understands one language, and then we yes, don't hear from her. Yes, that was the officer I was missing from the previous yeah. fight of every officer suddenly getting promoted to the position they need to be in for the crew to make exactly. sense to original series fans. Is uh, 
Uhura gets placed at the communications because she understands Romulan, all three dialects. Also, um, going back to the score and the soundtrack, um, mm-hmm. I think, if I picked up on this correctly, the Giacchino did like a kind of an Asian instruments to, to signify Vulcan, which was interesting because I don't think... That hasn't been done before, I guess is what I'm going for. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of like uh, choices in how they score the different planets, which was I thought was really yeah. interesting. Because, um, you know, there's kind of like the iconic like Starfleet score, but you get a lot of sense of like the different flavors of the different worlds that you only get to see very quickly before they are again sucked into a black hole and destroyed. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the music is great. And every time I think mm-hmm. we get Spock's dad, we get a little leitmotif yeah. um, with oh, some dead. of those, um, those same sounding instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, in this scene, since we saw Pike kind of strapped down to a chair, uh, he's being force-fed this weird bug. Yes, he gets um, truth serum bugged. <laughs> basically, uh, when I my notes, uh, when I watch this, savvy viewers of, of the original series will know that uh, Captain Pike is confined to a wheelchair and can mm-hmm. only, like, beep yes and no. And in this one, I kind of called that this would be how he was confined to the wheelchair some something with this bug uh so it was it was cool that they ended pike in kind of the same ish place Mm -hmm. um but by different means yeah they definitely they're very like loyal to where they want the characters to end up in the canon of star trek they don't like surprise kill anyone else off or like have someone have a completely different fate um although we will (laughs) we will get to that (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to some time travel shenanigans. Kirk is kind of like leaning in the captain's chair. Spock kicks him out of it. This is where we get the Bones line. Of, yep. I Damn it, in my man. Notes too. I'm a doctor, not a physicist. Uh, as Spock is talking about how the black hole happened. Spock quotes Shakespeare at this point. So you can mark that one off for the TNG fans out there. Uh, and then Kirk and Spock kind of argue about like what will happen Destiny has been changed for them because of these time traveling. Uh, we get a literal Romulans. author's insert saying, "This is a new timeline. Forget about whatever happened." Yep. Kirk gets all hostile and is ejected from the ship at Spock's command because he doesn't. Because Spock wants to reconnect with the rest of the fleet, and Kirk is like, "No, we have to go after the spiky pinecone warbird ship now." Uh, and because he is not agreeing with his captain, he gets put into a escape pod and launched to a class M planet with some sort of outpost. Uh, he, he does try to escape security's grasp, but Spock just kind of walks over and, and does that Vulcan nerve pinch yep. that we all know and love. Uh, Gotta get so that, that nerve cool, pinch in there. Callback. Kirk, now on a snow planet, has to do a bunch of walking in very dramatic snow. He makes a log about getting marooned. Uh, and something starts howling, and he gets chased first by a small creature, who then gets eaten by a bigger creature, who then chases Kirk. Both of them fall down, and Kirk enters an ice cave that I really love the design of, because it looks exactly like a 70s Trek cave. It was, it really did. And speaking of 70s Trek, it, when, when they kind of, like, focus in, the camera trick that they use to, like, introduce Kirk to this blurry planet, they focus in on, on Chris Pine, um... Mm -hmm. And the first, like, blurry shot, it honestly looked like uh, it could have been the silhouette of William Shatner in, like, Star Trek 2 or 3. Yep. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that's what I saw. Yeah, they just, they do a really good job of the capturing, I think, the 
and this is something that I think J.J. Abrams is pretty good at as a director, because as much as people might rag on episode seven, it does have the flair of a Star Wars movie, is kind of capturing the visual language of the media he's adapting, because this cave, while definitely a more modern set, has the same sort of construction to it, where it's both rounded and very segmented, uh, and the rock sort of has this like almost fake look to it. That is very Star Trek, and so it feels natural to the, the universe that we're in. The big creature that is chasing him gets chased off by a guy wielding a torch, and we meet... Dun-dun-dun... Old Spock, as Leonard proclaimed Nimoy. by <laughs> Leonard Nimoy, Spock Prime, baby. Honestly, like, if I, I if I hyped. was, <laughs> if I had seen the original series before I'd seen this the first time, I would have been bouncing off the walls. That's oh yeah, that's such a hype. Moment. The minute he like takes off the hood and he's like, I am Spock. I was, you know, we were popping the biggest bottles in Casa Sophia. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Spock knows of Nero, but not of his and Kirk's frayed relationship at this point in the movie, and he mind melds with Kirk to kind of explain what's happening. So in the in the future, the distant future, a star begins a supernova and threatens the galaxy, and Spock promised to help save the Romulan homeworld, um, using the red matter to create a black hole to hold the supernova, but he wasn't able to get there fast enough and tried to shoot the red matter into the supernova, but not before Romulan was destroyed. Huge nitpick, uh, oxymoron there, but, it, like, you can generally predict when supernovas are going to happen, uh, but it's okay. I'll suspend my disbelief. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. No, no, Continue what is this podcast for if not nitpicking the sci-fi logic of Star Trek? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but as he is leaving that failed mission, uh, Nero intercepts him, and they are both pulled into the black hole. Because Nero's ship got in first, they arrived 25 years earlier than Spock um, because of black hole physics. And they've been waiting for old Spock this whole time. Uh, And once he passed through the wormhole, they captured his uh, ship. They hold him responsible for the loss of their world. And they kept Spock alive on this planet so that he had to watch Vulcan be destroyed and experience the same pain that they went through. I think we also get a little sting of the original Enterprise theme here. Yes, um, we get our first Or the original hate. series theme. Mm-hmm. So good. The music. Uh, G- G- Michael Giacchino is just a <laughs> fantastic composer. He's so good. He's so good. And he's been on so many movies on the Movie Struck podcast. So, you know. Literally just changed this to Giacchino <laughs> Fan Club. The uh, Mikey podcast. G Stan podcast. I yeah. would love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good scene for Kirk because he's finding out that like Spock feels and that they have Spock is like oh you know we're like bros in my timeline as they're walking towards the outpost and Spock also reveals that in his timeline where the Romulans never showed up through the wormhole Kirk is actually the captain of the Enterprise and that he his father lived all these years um which is a nod to the uh sort of like original series timeline which I thought was a neat way of handling a little next gen sort of reboot without having to actually be a next gen reboot um, it was yeah, it was super cool. Also, this this scene was just like really fun between the banter oh, of like yeah. old and new. Old Spock is very like emotional in this, in the way that he's sort of joking around and poking fun at Kirk in the way that you can only do when you're really good friends with someone, but still doing yeah. it with the straight face of only a man who has played Spock for <laughs> years and, and years Kirk and years on can pretty do. Pretty quickly too, and uh-huh. he's like, yeah, we're friends, we're we're yeah. chill. He's like, okay, you're not mad at me, so I guess we're bros now. 
Um, Meanwhile, in the Enterprise, Spock and Bones are chatting. Bones uses a lot of folksy metaphors about how he shouldn't have launched Kirk out into space, and then Spock goes to talk to his dad. I believe we also get uh, a line that's something like, you're out of your Vulcan mind, uh, which is also a a TOS callback. We're establishing uh, Bones and Spock do not get along even if there is a begrudging respect. Old Spock and Kirk arrive at the outpost, and it's ominously lit, very green. Uh, A small alien brings them through a long hallway into the kind of, like, tech hangar, and they wake up up with Scotty! (laughs) Also, that small little alien is is just absolutely adorable. Oh, so cute. Love him. He is a reoccurring character. He does survive at the end of the movie, spoiler alert. But they wake up Scotty, who's been marooned on the station for six months. Simon Pegg was an excellent casting choice for Scotty. Perfect. Yeah. Apparently, it. Simon Pegg was so ready to play Scotty that he would have like <laughs> paid actual money to be Scotty. Fantastic. And I, I love that. Uh, this is why we didn't see Scotty on board the Enterprise earlier, because he has been on this station for the last six months. Apparently, he got into a spirited debate about uh, whether or not the teleporters could do a certain thing and warped Professor's beloved dog, and who has who has not reappeared yet. Also, this is a callback to Enterprise, because uh, Admiral Archer is likely a descendant of Captain Archer, uh, who had a beagle, Porthos. So, Scotty transporting his uh, prized beagle is likely a descendant of the two, the Captain Archer and Porthos the Beagle. Yes, Which is a cool callback as well. Excellent. They do a lot of like little name drops in this movie that I think they don't do it often enough that it gets disruptive to the plot. They do it just enough so that it feels like a way of establishing that this is a universe we all kind of know and love. And also let's like previous Trekkies get a little little ego boost. Me like, <laughs> I know that. It's handled which I, very well. I appreciate it because they could have very yeah. easily gone the opposite route and been like, we're just going to put as many name drops as possible in to the point where it is indistinguishable what matters to the plot and what is just in it for the lore drop. Scotty is going to be their ticket out of here because Spock comes from the future with the equation that Spocky created to allow them to Spocky. beam from beam into a moving uh, starship. So he is messing with the timeline for the first time as Scotty is explaining like, oh, I never thought about thinking about space as what was moving. Yeah, the timeline's been messed with already. It's okay. The timeline's been messed with a bunch, which makes this next explanation that Spock gives very funny. Kirk and Scotty are ready to beam up. Uh, but Spock is like, I can't go with you because of time travel reasons. And if I go and if I meet my younger self, I will be compromising the timeline. And da, 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 da. there's problems. Time, uh, and and Kirk buys it. <laughs> Timey wimey bullshit. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Spock salutes Kirk and they beam up to the Enterprise. Uh, Kirk is fine, but Scotty beams directly into some sort of like water filled pipe coolant thing and gets zoomed around a bunch of engineering until kirk is able to get him out uh no no way he held his breath before he would have been dead but then that would be very sad so it would be very sad unto scotty uh this alerts spock that they are back on board and he sends security to go get them and bring them to the bridge uh and as they so one of the things that uh, old spock told kirk he had to do is assume command of the enterprise without telling young spock what was going on so he says, you know, one of the uh, regulations says that if an officer is emotionally compromised, his uh, first officer, or any officer under him can assume his position in command. Uh, and so Kirk begins to kind of egg on, egg on Spock in the same way that those bullies were doing at the beginning of the movie. 
he says something about his mom dying, da 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 da, and Spock snaps and punches Kirk, and he's like really wailing on him as Chris Pine expertly shatters all over the command console uh, before Spock's dad. <laughs> <It's so good. laughs> expertly, there was one shot where I was like, that is shot for shot a fall that William Shatner did as Kirk in the original series. Oh, like yeah. I have seen that image before. It's such a faithful. It's a faithful representation. Yeah. That's It's a wonderful character tick uh, and really good fight choreography for a Trek movie. If it even it's over the top in the best possible way. Um, yeah. The only thing we're missing is the Shatner overacting. Yes. But uh, uh, <laughs> that's okay. Yes. Spock's dad snaps him out of it and Spock resigns his command uh, to Bones and everyone's like super quiet like hey we don't have a captain now until Kirk is like actually you do it's me because I was made acting first officer uh, and he's like hey guys how convenient <laughs> it's okay I understand uh, the need to hand wave yeah it's it I guess it's fine um it's for the sake of, of getting everyone where they need to be which is mm -hmm. fine Kirk's like, hey, change of plans, we're chasing Nero. Spock and his dad have a heart-to-heart -heart by the teleport pad about how he's a child of two words, and his dad is proud of him, and he's very angry about Nero, and his dad married his mom because he loved her, and what love and so, emotion Vulcans should not feel, to, so... Not to, to rehash uh, Sky High and make this about <laughs> the... Um, about lore that just random dialogue drops imply, but... If it this this dialogue implies that Vulcans don't marry people out of love, so why would you get married on Vulcan in the first place? Why I mean, not do just you know like, what and, kind and of like tax a, breaks you get when you file joint? <laughs> that's because people love each other in the first place. If you don't love each other, why would you link up with people to get tax breaks? Why uh, why design you just a system of tax? Question, man. I want a tax break. But there are no tax breaks love. on Vulcan. No. But why would they have tax breaks on Vulcan <laughs> if people don't love each other in the first place? Uh, I guess it's logical that like if you have to have a kid by raising them together, you know you need to partner up so i guess people go based on like well logically we're a good match or something like that um that but makes i think sense. it's the thing with vulcans is it's not that they can't feel emotions but it's like they kind of like repress they feel emotions them so bunch. strongly that they have yeah. to repress them i believe so i guess the... it's it could be implied that like subtly like you know they can feel love and so therefore they might marry for love or everyone just gets married during the centennial which is that time when <laughs> all of the, the vulcans uh, have to fuck for some reason <laughs> The, uh, you the remember Ponfar, from that's the... what it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's it. Um, what's the centennial? Who uh, am I thinking of? I don't know. I think it's it's just a futuristic sounding word. Uh, whatever. I'm not entirely um, sure. It is the Ponfar, though. That's, that's what Ponfar. all the Vulcans, every seven years, they get together. Every seven years. So I guess they, they just have a lot of weddings, like, every seven years or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, uh, they gotta fuck every seven years, and then mm -hmm, otherwise mm -hmm. they die, uh, so they're just like, might as well get married. Uh, so they have a chat about that, and Spock's like, oh, but I, I, I can be a child of two worlds, I can give in to my emotions, and I can use my logic, and it's like, great, man, I'm glad that you've worked that out. Uh, Chekhov is talking about how they can use Saturn to become invisible to Nero, something about his, the Saturn's rings causing interference, uh, and also Chekhov reveals that he is 17, so he is a child soldier. He is actually uh, a child. <laughs> he is literally a child in this movie. It's like, okay, I guess we're doing that now. Also, I believe Chekhov in the original series didn't even show up until season two as well. Um, uh, yeah, I, that sounds right, but I, I haven't watched the original series in a while, to be honest. Um, gotta go back. 
Oh, for sure. I, I always go back to TNG rather than the original series because I just love that's, those great, I think great that's Riker lanes. But uh, yeah, gotta go back to the original series. Fans of the pod will point. probably call me out for picking a yes, favorite. This but. is the episode that I think has the potential to make the most people both either very, very happy or extremely upset with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm okay. It's the most I will, dangerous I will, media property we've done so far. I will take the at. My feelings are true. Yeah, so Spock uh, comes back on the bridge to kind of back up Chekhov's theory and uh, rejoin the crew, which means we got our whole team assembled at last. Scotty's on board. Spock is actually helping. Kirk is acting captain. We're in, baby. Kirk and Spock are planning to board the Romulan ship to save Commander Pike, Captain Pike, and to uh, access their computers. And because, as Spock explains, Romulans and uh, Vulcans are actually like very close genetic ancestors. He could totally access their computers. Uh, so Kirk agrees. That's, that, that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. And they bond a little about both going into near certain doom together. Nero now preparing another drill, this time over San Francisco on Earth specifically, which we only know because there is the San Francisco Bridge in the back. <laughs> the Golden Gate Bridge. Golden Gate uh, Bridge. Thank you. <laughs> literally. Okay. So I, I started, I started watching season three of Discovery and they're way far in the future. Um, and literally, they they still show uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, it's doing the same <laughs> thing that like, the fancy cars did and the Nokia reference did, where it's like, no, guys, this is definitely Earth. Do not look at any of the fancy futuristic stuff. Focus on the Earth part. Every single series, I believe, of Star Trek has to show the Golden Gate Bridge yeah. um, after the original series. But uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> Actually, like... they might have even... There are a couple episodes in the original series where they go back in time, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's just become like a Trek staple where they, they have to show the Golden Gate Bridge and San yep. Francisco. And this time the Golden Gate Bridge is getting shot with a giant space laser drill uh, as Nero prepares to drill into the core of Earth this time right by the Starfleet Academy. Uh, the Enterprise, meanwhile, enters a very original series-style wide shot of Saturn and maneuvers into their secret position. It all looks so good. It all looks so, so fun. Um, Kirk, as he's boarding the transport pad, gives Sulu the order to fire on the Spiky Pinecone warbird ship, even if those he and Spock are on board. Uh, Kirk sees Spock and Uhura making out a little bit before they say goodbye, uh, and hears Uhura's first name and asks Spock about it, and Spock's like, don't talk to me, which is great. Um, they didn't... <sighs> Once again, they missed the opportunity to say, beam me up, Scotty, in the scene. Uh, but Scotty beams them onto the warbird straight into the middle of a bunch of Romulans. So it's face or fight so time. <laughs> about the beam me up, Scotty, I don't actually think there's any time in the original series where they say that exact string of words. Beam me Is up, Scotty. Is that true? I'm fairly sure. Uh, I'm sure someone can fact check us, but I'm, I'm like 80% sure that they don't ever say, beam me up, Scotty. Sometimes they might say like, Engineer Scott, beam us up, or uh, or beam us up, or something. But I don't actually think there's any any point in the original series where they say beam me up, Scotty. According to Wikipedia, you are correct because there has only been near misses of the phrasing, despite popular belief. Uh, uh yeah, I'm wow. just a big nerd. <laughs> this <Wow>. just in. <laughs> yeah, you got Scotty, beam me up, and beam them out of there, Scotty, and beam us up, Scotty, and Mr. Scott, beam us up. But not beam me up, Scotty, which is oh, missed opportunity so weird to, to think ruin about. that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Break that streak. Uh, it's just been like everyone knows the phrase "beam me up, Scotty," and it's never yeah. actually been said. 
Wow. Which is cool. Uh, it's funny to it's think like about. It's like that Berenstein versus Berenstein thing, except yeah. <laughs> we're a much longer running piece of media. Uh, <laughs> there's a little phaser fight with some Romulans. I absolutely love the variety of phaser sounds they have. There's that, like the sound design also in this. In this the sound movie. design was awesome, but in this scene in particular, there's like eight or nine different phaser sounds, oh, yeah. and there's lots it's of not like quite... and echoes and things. Oh, it's great. It's not quite the Tie Fighter sound of Mm-mm. of satisfying and sound design, but it, it's really good. Yeah, the variety really makes it sound like they're using different kinds of phasers which makes sense because the Romulans have different future la- have lasers compared to what uh yeah compared to what um Kirk and Spock are wielding phase pistols I believe they're called in the new one yeah yeah like they that. also the phase pistols look really cool like like switching mm-hmm. from stun to kill physically has something turning I really like the design um it's not necessarily like necessarily trek but uh it's still fun. I, I do really like how it looks Romulan alert the captain that there are intruders, and Nero runs off to deal with Kirk and Spock. Kirk covers Spock as he mind melds with the Romulan to find out where they need to go, and they execute their plan. The Enterprise loses their lock on Kirk and Spock, saying they're on their own now, and they... Because the drill has started up. The drill has started up, yep. And they manage to find the ship that old Spock flew inside of the Warbird with the Red Matter. Spock puts two and two together and is like, this is my ship. It called me Ambassador Spock. Uh, and kind of realizes, you're not like, telling me. Mm, you, you, you know what's up here, Kirk. Uh, and rattles off some stats about how unlikely their plan is to work. And Kirk is just like, it's fine. It'll work. Don't worry about it. Uh, Spock flies off in Spock's ship. That's so confusing to say. Uh, as Kirk <laughs> continues sneaking around until he finds himself face to face with Nero in... One of those uh, sci-fi rooms of platforms to nowhere. Oh, God. Yep, I, I have I have issues. Why Please. would you ever design anything one without railings and two just over a bottomless pit? All all of also, these ships the, are OSHA ship, nightmares. Yes, but also the uh, the pinecone ship uh, is apparently like over five miles long. So how the hell do they get anywhere in any? like capacity you just I imagine at a just, certain point you're just like bungee jumping everywhere if they're all like you're like you get to shuttle bay to and you're on the yeah it's like we need to to use the shuttles and you're on the bridge all right i'll be there in an hour <laughs> at some <laughs> there point there's a very funny don't um, need to troopers short about that from college humor uh oh, yeah. where they run with that exact bit about like if you need something from the other end of the ship, it will take me a whole day to get there. Are you sure you need this thing? Um, yeah, I don't understand why people need to design ships so big. <laughs> there, there comes to be a, a point in which you're like, there becomes a point how can where I get like, from bow to stern? Is this actually practical anymore, or is this thing that had to be this big? Yeah, I mean, we also see that it's just huge compared to the um, the USS Kelvin at the beginning of the yes. the movie. It's literally like massive 30 times the size of the kelvin at least it's whack it would just like eat the kelvin with it just open its mouth and And chomp (laughs) yep nero talks a bunch about how kirk was a great man in his timeline meanwhile spock goes out and destroys the drill uh which plummets into the san francisco bay nero hears about this and starts screaming spock (laughs) i believe a very uh star trek 2 wrath of khan yes joke but i believe that also nero mentions that kirk's dad sacrificed himself on the uss kelvin yes how did he know that i have no idea i guess like he could have maybe like because obviously it didn't work to fully um 
take down Destroy Spiky Pinecone. Narada. Possibly yeah. he like had ship's logs or something, and then he found that out. But it still seems like a weird Maybe. connection for him to make, because why would he care about Kirk? He's been gunning solely for Spock this whole movie. I mean, Kirk and Spock were best friends. They are BFFs forever, but it still seems In like a weird thing to focus on if you are very single-mindedly gunning for a guy you think destroyed your home planet. He's also just so misguided. Uh, yeah. Like, you can't... A supernova's gonna happen. I have issues about his motivation. Nero reveals it like, oh, my wife died on the planet. I'm like, well, you know, maybe you should have evacuated your planet. Like, if you (laughs) knew that your whole solar system was gonna go supernova and you own a mining vessel, so clearly space travel is possible with your people. Like, I just feel like this was an oversight in terms of safety evacuate. Like, if there's a hurricane on the East Coast, people who live too close to it are told to evacuate. I feel like if there's a supernova in your star system and you can space travel you should have evacuated it just there's a lot of oversight issues here also how <laughs> in the 25 years that they've been searching for spock did, how did no one question nero's sanity they find themselves in a new time there's so many of them that they can crew this five mile long ship and they still just blindly follow this guy with a vengeance for well they seem to also dude. fun functionally understand how the wormhole works because they are outside waiting for Spock when he does show up and they know when he's going to be there. Like they understand like, oh, 25 years from now in the same spot, Spock will show up. So clearly yeah. they understand what's what's up. It really just raises the question. Why not like, just go share your new technology with the Romulans? Let them know that this, yeah, this thing like, is coming so that it doesn't planet. happen again. I don't oh, know. It's... Uh, it's kind of one with, of it's the same Nero. kind of plan as like Thanos' snap, where if you think about it for a yeah. few minutes too long, you're like, actually, I don't think this is a good idea. But yeah. um, it doesn't need to be a super solid plan because all that they really need is for this guy to start drilling in the planets. Uh, luckily for Earth, Spock has taken out the drill, and uh, Nero starts chasing down Spock's fast little ship as they go into warp towards Saturn. Kirk, meanwhile, makes another big leap onto another sci-fi staple platform to nowhere. Uh, as a Romulan monologues about how weak humans are, and Kirk manages to steal his gun while he's monologuing and uh, take him out. I don't know why, but when you when you say platforms to nowhere, that just makes me think of the uh, Millennium SNL skit with LaGuardia, uh, and that, <laughs> that ending song, <laughs> the something plain to nowhere or something they all yep. march off to. <laughs> it side, does feel like tangent. that. It's one of those things where I'm like, at this point, do people, when they're designing spaceships in for like movies and things, do production designers just think, well... I've got to put a platform to nowhere in here because every goddamn sci-fi movie has a platform to nowhere. And And we need our hero to make a a really cool jump. Someone's got to dangle over the edge of an ambiguously lit infinite pit somehow inside (laughs) of the spaceship at at some point. (laughs) (laughs) I think we need a trope talk on uh, ambiguously uh, empty pits. I don't know if it's even like enough to call it trope or if it's just... uh, just a design choice. <laughs> what it, it does it do to the any, story like... other than you get to dangle ominously for a bit? Has there ever been an instance where someone either hasn't thrown a bad guy off the side or had a good guy they cared about thrown off the side? I think, yeah. I think it's just a, a plot device or, or an a action set piece device that's like... Wanna kill off a character without showing the body? Have a pit to nowhere! <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Spock is putting himself on a collision course with Nero's ship. The Romulans helpfully inform us that if he crashes into them, the red matter will explode and cause a black hole that will suck them in. Kirk manages to find his boy, 
Captain Pike, and he calls for Scotty to beam them up, but he does not say beam me up, Scotty, as, as <laughs> a real shame. Uh, also, uh, we've only seen so far that they use a very tiny portion of the red matter uh, mm-hmm. to create planet-sized black holes, um, and you have basically like a giant sphere of this red matter yep. uh, that's about to ignite, so you know that this is going to be bad. This is going to um, be one big boy bad problem. But yet they still stick around to yep. shoot at the ship. We'll get to yep, that. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Nero is unloading on Spock's ship, but he's unable to hit it. Scotty manages to lock onto Spock, Kirk, and Pike and beam all three of them aboard as Spock's ship, uh, as Kirk's father's ship did before it, jams into the side of the spiky pinecone warbird and uh, ignites right the red spikes. matter, <laughs> creating the black hole that then begins tearing Nero's ship apart. Kirk, back in the captain's chair, hails the... Uh, Warbird, and is like, you are in severe distress, do you require assistance? And Nero's like, no, fuck you! And then he's like, alright, you asked for it, and Kirk fires on I think they should Nero's use their ship. one PG-13 F-bomb for for that moment right there. That would have been great. Yeah, I think that if Star Trek hired me as a writer, I would adequately place their one PG-13 F-bomb. So if any Star Trek writers are like, listening no, fuck to this you, podcast, J.J. Abrams hit me up! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But they hail it, and Spock is like, why are you hailing? And Kirk is like, oh, because, you know, we have to have, like, plausible deniability, like, for the we're actual Starfleet. Romulans in our timeline. If we're Like, we tried to help, uh, but then... It's Nero also like, we're Starfleet. We, that's what we do. We, we talk. Yeah. They don't say the words Prime Directive, but this is a, probably where they would drop a Prime Directive if they were gonna. Nero's ship is compromised and destroyed, and as they're trying to escape the black hole, uh, they're having a lot of trouble because they're getting pulled in by gravity or whatever. Um, it's worth noting that they also they stick around to just unload their entire phaser banks and torpedoes into a ship yes. that is clearly already being devoured by a black hole. Yeah, I give them the benefit of the doubt on this one because they do have most of the survivors from Vulcan on board, so it's got to be a little cathartic for them even if they don't pretend to be super emotional. Yeah, but also this this black hole has got to... It, it can't be that far from Earth because from what we see, they were only at warp for a few seconds or minutes. Um, yeah. And I believe they established earlier that Vulcan is like three to five minutes away at warp. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I guess it's it could be far enough, but still, you're, you're not that far away from Earth and you're opening up this giant black hole and it just doesn't come up again. So It's best not to think about the damage to the solar system they're possibly doing this whole fight because they do... They definitely got Saturn with that black hole because that's where the Enterprise was. Well, they warped <laughs> away. So like... Then they all they warped in. There's a some there's warping going around. Um, a lot of warping. But they're still they cannot be that far from Earth. That's unfortunate for Earth, but I guess they'll they're advanced enough to have figured it out. I guess. Um, just we'll just take Earth. We'll pick up Earth and we'll move it over there. <laughs> you know that actually sounds like how they would solve the problem in an actual episode of the original series. So you're not that far off. I could definitely see that happening. Uh, so the Enterprise is stuck getting pulled into the wormhole also. They're trying to leave. So Sulu's giving it everything they got, but it's not enough. Scotty says something, something, you bet your arse, Captain, as he's kind of freewheeling a plan to get them big power. And he's like, hey, we could... Uh, techno babble. We could eject this what's it to the who's it to make a big boom that'll push us away from the black hole. And Kirk's like, yeah, dude, do it. Um, it's not It's not a Star Trek show without an explosion of the warp core. 
an explosion of the warp core and the ship slowly rotating as it gets pushed by like an energy wave away from a, a problem, which is exactly what happens. And the Enterprise survives to fight another day under the command of James T. Kirk. They manage to get back to Earth. Back at the Academy, a few days later, presumably, Spock chats with old Spock uh, before he leaves which was very confusing. And Spock is like, hey, why didn't you tell Kirk to just tell me that you were around? And old Spock's like, Kirk needed this. And young Spock is like, I understand. He did. We did need to become friends. Uh, the whole time travel paradox thing was a lie. <laughs> that was funny. How did old Spock get to Earth? He was stranded without a ship. On... I mean, he was in the outpost. Like, presumably they could transport elsewhere. I guess, or they had like there a ship no... there, because the little alien that was at the outpost with Scotty also shows also up in by, a few scene he's later. Played by Deep so... Roy, uh, who is also the Oompa Loompas in, um, <laughs> and like a lot of other characters uh, in a lot yes, of other movies. Character actors, we love them. Um, I I have to assume that both of them got off together somehow. Also, like Spock has so much experience with Starfleet at this point in his life. I'm sure he figured out a way to do what he needed to do he had the whole formula that he needed to give to scotty to do the whole moving um vessel warp thing so they clearly has some basis of getting himself off of there old spock tells young spock that he should stay in starfleet because old spock is going to help vulcan like found a new colony somewhere and uh that is how we know that spock is going to stick around in starfleet and also help vulcan at the same time it's confusing but basically two spocks one timeline that's all you need to know the assembly and there's no from <laughs> timey issues with that. No timey issues. We're not going to worry about the possible paradoxes of time travel. It's not important to the canon of this Star Trek series. The assembly once again calls out Kirk, but this time he's getting a medal and not getting accused of cheating, and he will be and also a promotion, out. I guess. <laughs> and also a sub- significant promotion from cadet, <laughs> from cadet to cadet uh, full to captain. on captain of the Enterprise. We find out he's going to be taking the place of Commander Pike, who is confined to a wheelchair. Who is confined to a wheelchair, although he can talk quite a bit. Uh, he's, Pike's like, hey, you made your father proud, and now we get the glory shot of the whole Enterprise crew in place. So we need a little roundup as we pan around the bridge. Got Sulu, got Chekhov, uh, Kirk tells Bones to buckle up, Scotty's down in engineering, Uhura sitting in her chair, his little alien friend is with Scotty, and then, of course, Kirk's like, I don't have a first officer. But then, Spock boards and asks to become the first officer, and we get the lineup of the century. It's all very heartwarming. Uh, and all it's, very heartwarming. It's nostalgic, and we it's get the, the part the we were waiting the for the music. entire movie. Yeah. You know, it's that the moment where you're like, "Oh, now we're cooking with Star Trek." Um, Everyone's where they're supposed to be, and we're all really happy about it. Yeah, and we kind of end on the uh, a very opening of the original series shot of the Enterprise turning around to take off as old Spock, uh, Leonard Nimoy, does the opening theme monologue of space the final frontier from the original series as the enterprise warps off for the first time and then we get the the og theme song cover by my boy michael g over the credits and that is star trek that is star trek 2009 it's a it's a, a fun movie it's a very fun movie um especially if you aren't into star trek at all there's there's enough to like get you interested and if you are there's enough to keep you involved i know that this was a pretty divisive movie when it came out uh between fans but yeah i think it's one of those things where if you go into this expecting like a shot for shot recreation of the original series with constant really deep pull references you're not going to necessarily be happy but if you want just like a fun 
introduction to the Star Trek universe with a very good cast and a very, as complicated as it gets at points, it's a pretty simple plot to follow. Basically, like, thing gets plot. blown up. It's a revenge yeah. plot. Bad guy is pretty sort clear. Of. You don't have to think about it too much. If you want just like a fun sci-fi movie, this is a good option. And if you're a Trek fan who's not going to get too pissed off about how your favorite character was portrayed, then this is probably a good option. There's it's lots also of fun funny that you, that you mention uh, a shot-for-shot shot remake because that's pretty much what happened with the next movie, and it was not received well by anyone. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend this one. It's got a good score. It's got a fun time. I laughed out loud at genuinely at a few moments, mostly yeah, when anything, Scotty was on screen. <laughs> yeah, God, Simon Pegg's fantastic Simon as Scotty. Pegg's so good. Honestly, I think that was the first uh, exposure I had to Simon Pegg, and then afterwards I, I went and watched all of the Cornetto trilogy. No, oh, well, that's um, it. also fantastic. Also but fantastic. A different for movie for a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I would definitely say I would recommend watching this if anyone out there is looking for a good follow-up to our Tron episode. Um, Nick, you know, this was this was your pick of movie. What are sort of your closing thoughts? Would you recommend this? Would you watch this again? I think I got a good inclination on the answer, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. I would uh, absolutely recommend this, and I would love to watch it again. Just after watching the original series, at the very least... Um, you really see the characters and you see how, how well they're portrayed and how well they're adapted to basically a 2000, uh, a 20th century, 21st century audience, uh, and in characterizations, it's a fun time all around. That's, that's what I can say for it. Uh, if you like Star Trek, if you don't like Star Trek, you'll probably enjoy it. Uh, as long as you don't, get too involved but that can be said for pretty much anything yeah yeah i think uh if you just want a fun sci-fi flick this is a good option and if you want to just want to revel in a little bit of nostalgia without picking it apart another good option as well um but nick thank you so much for coming on this podcast we're coming up on time it's been super fun getting to geek out i am very happy that you chose this movie (laughs) thank you for having me sophia we learned a little we laughed a lot um we stand michael giacchino of uh, always and forever he uh coming in clutch with a bunch of scores for multiple movies on this podcast (laughs) he's great this is just a backdoor pilot for my secret other podcast where i just exclusively talk about michael giacchino um you could just subtly like transition into an only michael giacchino (laughs) podcast and and i don't think anyone would notice if i had any control over what movies we watched on this podcast i would but unfortunately the whole gimmick of the episode means that i have absolutely no (laughs) no control over what the episodes uh are or in what order they're released so thank you all for listening and we'll be back in another two weeks nick thank you so much for coming on uh and until next time live long and prosper live long and prosper everyone Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on June 7th to boldly go to the lands of Jupiter ascending, but if you have a question, comment, or concern before then, feel free to email the show at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform.